32 Counties. 32 Questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. United Ireland. We usually take a county. I feel like this is a sing song at the at this time. I say it so much. Dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. But in these extraordinary times, we're responding to issues emerging from life within a fucking shitty global pandemic. <laughs> this week and on this episode. We are going to be having a chat about the new restrictions announced in Ireland on Tuesday of this week. Uh, And we're going to just have a conversation about whether or not the government is losing the logic battle in the war on COVID-19. Obviously, we're not going to use any war or military metaphors because that's ridiculous. Um, Something that would calm oneself in this very heightened, frustrating environment would be our Patreon exclusive episode, uh, The Sunday Soothe. This week, The Sunday Soothe happened on a Tuesday, but nevertheless, it remains a soothing 10, 15, 20 minutes um, of your week, which you can gain access to by signing up to our Patreon and helping us make this podcast as we navigate the choppy waters of our ocean with an undefinable end, lost at sea as we are. No more um, um, marine what, metaphors either. What a metaphor. I was literally like hanging on the journey of the metaphor. It wasn't even just a <laughs> metaphor. It's like, where is the next uh, element of this metaphor going? Really um, picture. No more, no more metaphors. Um, so do help us and uh, join us join us by signing up to Patreon. You get totes as well if you sign up to the good level. Just Yeah, get in the sea totes. And I believe, Andrea, we have another uh, tote on the way. Yeah, we're going, we're, there's, you're just not going to recognise United Ireland next week with all the changes that are coming. New totes, new levels, new, 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 new rules. New rules. New rules. That's it. We're going to implement some new United Ireland rules. Come <laughs> by. You can listen to the podcast on a bus, but you can't listen to it on the Lewis. You can listen to it at Sunday lunch, but not at mass. You can listen to it in the pub, but not in a restaurant. That's right. We're mirroring the government advice with our new rules. How are you feeling, Andrea? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I... I'm just encountering a lot of shit at the moment. I feel like, did you know, on the episodes of Grand Designs, not that I'm building a Grand Design, but when you get to like the elements where they're just standing in a wet field, like knee deep in muck going, yeah, we still think it's going to be worth it. We're going to get there in the end. But, and Kevin's like, but everything has gone wrong and you've no money left and blah, 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 blah. That's where I'm at now. So that's so, yeah, stunning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, upon listening to the um, press conference from our great Taoiseach, Michal Martin, uh, yesterday evening, I was in such a rage that I had to cycle around town on my own for about an hour, just like playing conversations in my head about things that I feel about the new restrictions um, and then I calmed down somewhat, but I am sensing 
a lot of anger, a lot of, I suppose people feel just a bit dejected and frustrated. I was talking to my mum last night and I really feel for people in their 70s and and, and older because, you know, my mum was just saying, you know, I feel like we've done everything right and we've been so careful. And then I see these headlines that we, you know, over 70s have to restrict this, that and the other. And, you know, I just really, really feel for everybody who um, is is struggling with all of this stuff at the moment. And I think that what makes it more difficult is this logic gap, which is why we're kind of addressing that on our podcast episode I today. Feel, I feel for everyone, but I also feel for everyone who is trying to do their best to protect people. And I know that, again, that comes into your... Um, it's up to yourself to protect yourself and autonomy and all that kind of jazz. But you can't, like, I do think people have people's best interests at heart at the end of the day, but it's just not being communicated well or managed very well or, or many things very well. Yeah. I think there's a big communications issue for this government across the, across the board. I also think that there is a sense that, you know, is there anything that this government can't fumble or it just feels a little bit bumbling and um, anyway we'll get into that in the main bit but first it's the state of the nation what's the state of the nation Andrea be kind let me tell you it's in some state I will tell you the shenanigans that have been going on this week Uh, firstly it it came to light that the Department of Justice are monitoring sentiment of social media accounts that criticise direct provision. Um, there was a lot of backlash against this, obviously, because there's a lot of time and money and resources being taken up by the um, monitoring services that are being done. And I suppose the thing that came out of this for me the most is the fact that we often talk about how will we ever speak about uh, we didn't know what was going on when the Magdalene laundries were so recent and how can we say we didn't know what was going on when there's not one iota of um, chance that that can happen given that they're literally monitoring everyone telling exactly what's going on and how bad it is, how inhumane it is. So it just is a stretch of why so much resources are being spent on something to analyse it rather than to change or fix it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was reading through the reports um, that were released under a Freedom of Information request and, and Ellen Coyne had this story initially and um, the reports are, are quite detailed, you know, and they kind of express different opinions on, on various things and stuff like, you know, there was kind of a quiet day today on Twitter for people talking about direct provision and then they'll go into the screenshot tweets and talk about how many likes and retweets they get and whether or not they got traction. Um, it, you know, I don't know how many people are, have been working on on these reports, but as you say, they are quite detailed. Um and plenty of people are in there. Uh, so, you know, I don't. I mean, a lot of you know, some people might say, "Oh, this is completely normal, and it isn't necessarily like a, a bad thing." And they're monitoring sentiment on loads of different things. But it just feels, again, uh, very odd to um, see different names, some well-known names, some um, people from 
uh, Massa and stuff like that just screenshot these tweets and these departmental reports. It's bizarre. Bizarre. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, another outrageous <laughs> kind of thing that happened last week was the um, ev- forced eviction of nine tenants in a property on Berkeley Road in Dublin 7. Um, I was up at the property last Thursday to see the aftermath of what had happened and the place was just kind of torn asunder. It was pretty wild, I have to say. Um, there was a huge amount of damage done to the property. Uh, smashed toilet bowls, uh, holes smashing walls, windows smashed, doors pulled off frames and um, people's personal possessions kind of thrown all over the place. Uh, what was amazing though was um, how different housing activists and just, you know, normal people just kind of showed up to volunteer and help clean it up and just even provide their bodies outside the building should anything else occur. Um, And there are multiple investigations now uh, about everything from alleged criminal damage of property or, or, you know, people's personal property to um, why the Gardaí were there, uh, you know, kind of tacitly facilitating the eviction. That's what it kind of looked like. Um, And so, yeah, we'll see what the outcome of that is. Hopefully now, considering that there have been different reports and I know the ICCL have been talking about this, about Gardaí ad evictions, which, you know, there shouldn't really be there. Uh, Hopefully some kind of positive outcome will occur. But it was extraordinarily upsetting to see the state of the place and uh, to watch video footage as well. Which it occurred. Huh? also the circumstances around which it occurred because mm. the tenants had paid their rent. It wasn't, yeah. they were not at fault at all. And it was because of um, a bigger deal that had gone on between the landlord, etc. So, Yeah, it's mad to kind of see this, you know, small little property on Berkeley Road, you know, near Fibsborough and um, just to kind of look at this random building on a street and, and then be you know, look, realizing that there's all this connection with Goldman Sachs and selling off buildings. And yeah, it's, it's a bizarre situation. Uh, and hopefully something good will come out of it. What else has been going on, Andre? Uh, there was an awful racially driven attack on the canal by youngsters who pushed uh, a woman, Zudon Young, aka Shirley, um, into the water. Um, and then the follow-up on that was that they were known, who th- their ident- identities were known, and that they were being investigated, but nothing had happened as of yet. Now, there's been talk of, like, Gardy won't talk about investigations and stuff is going on behind the scenes, but there is a little bit of frustration that um, these racist attacks won't be prosecuted and that there will be no... Um, no, no comeback, I suppose, to the people who are doing these uh, attacks. Yeah, it was absolutely horrific. Horrific. Um, yeah, not really a very fun news week, actually. Um, moving on to the Leaving Cert results, uh, as the shenanigans with the Department of Education and rolls on and then we're hearing all of this stuff from the UK about how an algorithm was basically discriminating against people um, and lowering their grades. Um, now there's news that the the grades, the predicted grades will be, well, you'll be able to see your te- teacher's grade a week after you get your predicted grade or something. What is going on with this? They're, they're doing, releasing them a week later, which is obviously a bit of a uh, 
a problem because it, it leaves it open for like whatever scandals. But more importantly, I think on that point is that there was an interview on the radio. Um, oh, I can't remember who it was, but basically they were talking about the predicted grades and that how traditionally people in lower socioeconomic environments do worse so that they were programming that in. So they were actually, instead of trying to uh, fix the the discrepancies between uh, different education areas, they, they were programming it in these discrepancies. So I think that's a bigger issue that will probably raise its head over the next few days. Mm. Um, in other ridiculous news, uh, the head of Fulcher Ireland um, went on holiday to Italy. Why not? Great country. Love a bit of travel during the summer. And then, of course, he had to resign. Like, the levels of lack of cop on with this. And, and actually, like, if it was any other... I mean, I think things that get traction and annoy people, there always has to be a real heavy dose of irony to kind of birth a heavier dose of hypocrisy. Um, But incredible. I've really got, incredible I've to make that decision. That, actually. Uh, are we allowed to have juice in yeah, this way? Yeah. So basically, Fulcher Ireland have obviously been launching this campaign um, with influencers around the country to go around the country and do their social media and blah, blah, blah. And it was very stringent, the type of, uh, you cannot go away on holidays. You cannot go away on holidays. Um, and then there was, I think some influencers did, and there was a bit of a furore over it. And then couple of days later the CEO is outed as being in Italy it's like are you actually joking there's just a different reel for for people you're employing to the actual boss um yeah which is a bit nice but like I'm a bit of I'm a bit having a controversial stance on this I don't think it's worthy of resignation I think it's in bits and I think how did it get to the point where he agreed that or like you work in in a in, not in an office anymore, I suppose, but in an environment where you have a lot of people working with you. How does nobody say, I don't actually think that's a great idea to go to Italy as the CEO of Fulch Island. But like if you did have a family holiday and I know that it's optics rather than like it's it's by the rules essentially. It was like if you were going to quarantine and all that jazz and you had it booked and you had your family, like, I don't know. I think it's like, Apologize, like it's wrong, say it's wrong, but to have to re- resign from your whole job. Oh, I 100% think it was right for him to resign. I think uh, otherwise he probably would have been somehow fired or asked to go by Catherine Martin. I think it's completely I think ridiculous. I think lo- loads of people have made massive sacrifices. Loads of people who wanted to go away, who had holidays booked, decided to go by the public guidelines that, you know, you shouldn't travel unless it's essential and that they're advising against travel. And I know that there is a green list and all of that is confusing, but it's absolutely ridiculous. And when I think of all of the... like, I, I think it's ridiculous, but does the punishment, does it weigh up? Yes. The fact is, it's also about judgment. If it, Because it speaks to something greater, you know? It's like, it's not just the fact that they went on holiday to Italy. It's like how could you be so stupid as to do that? And and how could you be trusted in that position if those are the kind of calls that you make? You know, it's not a very smart thing to do. And this is a person who's heading up, uh, you know, uh, a bot, uh, you know, a full job. Yeah, I just, no, I'm, I, I 
absolutely get in the sea with that one. Um, now let's move to happier news, uh, Andrea. <laughs> the Irish team of three women of Rachel Acano, Margaret Acano, and Joy Newicki. That I have to apologise for that. Come on, give me a give me a hand with that one. Um, uh, Joy, I would say Nijekwe. Joy Nijekwe. They won the international. Um, Technovation World Summit with a, a, a dementia app memory haven. So congratulations to those three women. And then finally, the state of the nation. After Leo's dog whistle, alt-right tweet last week, I waited and waited to see how he was going to get, what his response would be. In my pure mind, just waiting to see what what was going to be the explanation behind it. And then the crap response of like I just want to clarify the point I was trying to make here I was highlighting the fact that Sinn Féin dismissed Barry's views because of his background no one should have their views dismissed because of their race gender or social class that's all Ugh, vomit it was just so fucking crap yeah yes crap <laughs> awkward a stupid response uh, ridiculous and, nonsense all of those things it was just how is like and it was three days later again it was like how is that the best thing you came up with fail fail okay now as loads of people are quite angry and uh, annoyed and confused uh, we are going to be asking whether the government is losing the logic battle Okay, so as we all know now, um, there have been uh, cases rising of coronavirus uh, in Ireland. A lot of them centre around Kildare. A lot of them centre around uh, meat processing plants in the Midlands. There's also been a couple of other things. There's been cases at a Glambia dairy processing plant, at a mushroom plant place, Um and different things like that. So there was this kind of burgeoning feeling that something was actually going to be shifting now and people are kind of getting obviously understandably worried. And as cases rise, you know, you just have in the back of your head, well, if they're going up now in two weeks, are going to be having more deaths and all these terrible things and reliving the trauma that we've been kind of collectively going through. And uh, in the midst of all that, one hopes for logic um, things that make sense and restrictions that feel that we're kind of moving in a, in a, in a direction uh, that a lot of other countries have been in terms of trying to keep the show on the road, I suppose. Now, when Michal Martin um, announced the restrictions on Tuesday night, I, I think a lot of people were just kind of holding their heads in their hands a little bit. I think part of it is because people are worn down um, and also because there was some felt like there was loads of contradictions within them. I do think it takes a special kind of fuckery to lose the trust of people in Ireland, considering we are very sound in many ways and just want to do the right thing and have been pulling together so much. We do have a really strong sense of social cohesion, solidarity, empathy, community, neighbourliness. And we've pulled on all of those things to get ourselves through uh, six months of uh, what has been such a difficult time, mostly for people who have lost their loved ones. 
which is a trauma that remains unprocessed because of how bizarre this time has been. And we're always thinking of those people. After a really long cabinet meeting and a massive Barney, by all accounts, between Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin, the government chose a kind of pick-and-mix approach to the public health advice from NAFIT. These restrictions include that all businesses should continue to allow remote working where possible. I think the actual... So there's... Okay, so before we go into this, there's some of the public... Uh, some of the advice they took from NAFIT, some of it they took bits of and kind of maybe maybe made it a little bit softer. So um, all businesses should continue to allow remote working where possible. Okay, that was already ongoing. They're kind of reiterating something. I think NAFIT wanted something more like everybody just remote work forever or whatever. Well, that's an exaggeration. I'm sorry. Um, if you have visitors over to your home, to another household, you should limit them to six people uh, indoors and outdoors of no more than three households. This is a really confusing one because another restriction is that outdoor gatherings are to be limited to fifteen people. So I'm I'm confused. Let's say if you are you if you're going to a barbecue in someone's house, if outdoor gatherings are limited to fifteen people, but if you're actually going to somebody else's household, indoors or outdoors, that can only be six people. There seems to be a lack of clarification around that. I don't really understand it. Restaurants and cafes, including pubs, which serve food can remain open, but with a mandatory closing time of 11.30. That's an hour later than the 11 or the other one, isn't it, Andrea? That's half an hour. Or half an hour, sorry, sorry. That makes sense to me totally that Netflix put, we're trying to bring it earlier and then the restaurants uh, pushed back on that saying that they were missing out on a setting and that was really impacting on their thing. So they pushed it to half 11, which would allow an extra seating. Yeah, again, there there does seem to be a conflict there that you could sit in a restaurant with loads and loads of people physically distanced, of course, and with staff wearing masks, etc. So you could be in a restaurant with like 30 people, but if you're having a barbecue in somebody's back garden, it can only be six people. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I think it does make sense. I think it, the way it's presented and the way it's communicated doesn't make sense. But the sense is they're trying to stop people going to house parties. Right. This it, like... They're, that is the way they're trying to do it, which doesn't make the push against house parties feel right. It just makes people go, but that doesn't make sense because it's confusing. Mm. So like if, if there was actually don't have house parties, like a, a specific crisis management communications plan in place rather than these um, random rules it, that don't make sense. So if the arbitrary kind of they feel arbitrary where they have a, a base in sense, but the communication of the sense isn't being communicated. So everyone's like, what the fuck? Agree with you that fundamentally there's a massive communications issue with this government, definitely, and especially with, with the restrictions um, relayed last night. Sports events, matches uh, go back to behind closed doors, no spectators allowed. Again, you know, could 20 people not watch a match in a stadium or 200 people? I mean, I, when you have I don't know. stadium capacity of 6,000 and it was at 200, it seems very bizarre to bring that behind closed doors when we when there was no outbreaks within spectating. It was within the sport and the teams. Mm. So, But you're still allowed to play sports um, and still allowed where the thing happens. So that does seem very bizarre again. And you're still allowed to watch a match in a pub. Yeah. Just not in a stadium. Um, public transport should be avoided where possible. Um, 
And uh, if you were traveling in a well, car... The way they communicated that was even bizarre. It was like, don't get public transport. It was like, um, okay, but then you're literally putting so many school kids on school buses in a few weeks. Obviously, we know that the main priority here is to get schools back and they're putting all these other things in place to get to that point, which wasn't really communicated either as well. But like, how can you pull people off public transport? And there was people like um, Dublin Town who are really working hard to get people back into Dublin City and um, because obviously office workers and uh, a lot of people have left the city because we've made a city that's just about buying things and working in it rather than living and being. Um, and they're like, you're literally now communicating against public transport where we're pedestrianizing and trying to stop cars going in and make the city better. And now you're telling people not to get public transport. That's really damaging to our communications. If you are traveling in a car or other vehicle with someone from outside your household, it is recommended that you wear a face covering. I think a lot of people are doing that maybe, well, maybe they kind of stopped doing it. I mean, I was, I know I was still doing it, but uh, I think, um, yeah, I think. Anyway, we'll move on. So uh, the the another big kind of I suppose more legislative piece is um, developing emergency powers for Gardaí to um, police this stuff, particularly to shut down house parties. Um, so this is kind of going back to there was obviously a lot of uh, controversy at the time early on in the pandemic with regard to the increase. Uh, Enforcement powers for Gardaí. And um, so this is, I guess, they're going to be trying to expedite this legislation. I can't see how this will happen. Like already the ICCL have been out with how this should be led by without coercion um, and by encouragement and education and how allowing Gardaí to come into your home without a warrant is really, really, really dangerous. Um, And that amount of power being handed over when like there's, is there being uh guardy being allowed to just go into factories or whatever. And I don't want to keep comparing the two of those situations, but having not being allowed to refuse entry to your home is a very scary thing. I think. Also, how are they going to find out where the house parties are? You know, it, it seems to me that is this going to be another uh, curtain twitching vibe where people are just going to be dobbing in people having curtain twitching but also um it's going to be particular areas that are going to be targeted you're not like i think there'll be a lot less guardy interventions in dorky wine parties than there will be uh maybe in tala house parties yeah i think that's fair enough. I think that's probably fair to say. So the government have leaned really hard on people to do the right things. Um, we all know that. And these restrictions are coming at the same time that we're seeing clusters uh, spiral out from meat processing plants mostly, also from direct provision centres, as well as other food processing uh, settings. So I think a lot of people are are kind of up in arms going, well, what about the meat processing plants and what about DP and why do we have to do all this stuff? And they're not, you're not talking about that enough. And there, there is stuff happening in meat processing plants in terms of rolling out testing um, and same in direct provision. In my opinion, it feels like, you know, that's not being communicated properly and also that it's come quite late. And this meat processing plant issue is not something that happened in the last month. This has been you know, happening all through the pandemic. 
Um, so we're going to get into that in a second. But I do think on the logic thing, uh, people will agree to things that seem logical. And that's another behavioral science part of, you know, people trust what makes sense. And uh, things that seem illogical, contradictory or punitive don't and won't make sense to people. So what that does, it causes confusion, it causes tension, it can cause resentment and anger and frustration. And ultimately, it can cause disobedience because if you don't think something makes sense, you know, the next step for that is like, well, I'm not doing that. And for me, it really all comes, I know I keep banging on about this, but I do think this was a seminal moment in the government messing up its messaging and restrictions. It all comes back to the nine euro meal and the lack of logic that cascaded from that, because that was the point where sense kind of broke down. And obviously it's been repeated so much that a nine euro meal does not protect you from coronavirus. And that is a fact. And I think people found that illogical and they lost trust because it was like, look, we're making so many sacrifices. We're doing so much stuff. We're really trying to do our best here, but this doesn't make sense. And I, and I think we can keep going back to that again and again. Um, and, you know, loads of people have been pointing out the discrepancies between these restrictions and, and framing them against each other and saying, well, you can do this, but you can't do that. And that doesn't make sense. And once that lack of sense and that lack of logic kind of cascades or spirals out, I think people just kind of throw their hands up and go, oh, fuck this. You know, I, I, I genuinely think that that's how a lot of people are feeling. And that is really unhelpful. It's un- unhelpful with regards to people complying with the um, restrictions that they need to be. And, you know, we're already in a very stressful headspace. So to have another layer of being pissed off and angry at the government on top of that is a lot. And to have a lack of clarity. And I think there's so still so many things like weddings. There's still 50, but we're going to review that. And Neffet wanted six and all that kind of jazz is a big problem. But the main problem, I think, is the lack of sense, which is be, is coming from a really bad communication strategy. And not just a communication strategy, but also the mode of communication is really bad. Like the just the way the yesterday was presented you were just like you didn't have trust in the people talking and you know I love Michal Martin as a person obviously not well not obviously whatever but like I felt sorry for him but also I was like can you you're just such a bad leading speaker like yeah like you're not instilling confidence and the pauses and the and the kind of stuttering and the passing over and then Eamon Ryan being there, Noel from Fine Gael being there. And obviously there's the stories coming out that there was a big piece of tension between Varadkar and Michal Martin at, at the meeting. And uh, Varadkar's comment says he doesn't like the way Michal Martin's doing business. Um, so you can see all of that coming through and the, the cracks are coming through in that. And when the cracks are coming through in how you present and how you communicate, that already instills a lack of confidence in people. And then when the messaging that you're coming through with is so uh, contradictory, you're just, everyone's just kind of like, ah, come on. Like I, you're not making sense. You're not instilling confidence. You're not, uh, you're not like all, as much as we hated all the mean girls references, you were sweating for a bit of kind of stately um, projection that would make you feel confident and that 
these were the people in charge and they know what they're doing. And that was entirely lacking from the press conference yesterday. Well said. On the meat plants, this is something that people are talking about an awful lot. You know, why isn't the focus all on them? Why isn't um, a minister or Micheál Martin coming out saying, we know that loads of people have massive concerns about that. That's why we've put in this huge big plan to tackle root and branch every single thing that's happening from it, to contain things in the community, to look at people's accommodation, to test everyone every day, blah, 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 blah. Okay. There is testing happening. So it's not... so. The, it's also like dangerous to be like they're not doing anything like they're they're they are trying trying right but at the same time this is not a new issue um back in may uh covid-19 was spreading in meat plants um that was identified as a major issue at the time in one week in may 300 cases uh, were identified um Brian Stanley who is a Sinn Féin TD uh, was kind of one of the most vocal on the issue at that time, particularly in the kind of local press in um, Kildare and Offaly and so on. Uh, at Ross Dara Meats factories in Ross Cray in Eden Derry, there was a case identified on March 20th. At the time, or uh, about a month later or so, about a month and a half later, um, Stanley, that Sinn Féin TD, said that it took five weeks for workers to be tested after that. Um, now, one of these meat plants uh, that I just want to talk about for a second is Kildare Chilling. Uh, there's a huge, well, a very large outbreak of COVID-19 there. Um, there are, I think, around 350 workers at the plant. I was looking up kind of the size of the plant and stuff like that. And it seems at least 150 of them have tested positive for COVID-19, which is a massive number. Um, at the time... Or back in May, when Brian Stanley was kind of challenging Heather Humphreys on this issue, he also said that an official from the Department of Agriculture contracted COVID-19 at the facility. Uh, that was reported at the time, I think it was reported in the Leinster Leader, maybe? Kildare Chilling has also, I think it's just worth pointing out um, these kind of settings that people are working in as well. There's been a lot of conversations around uh, workers' rights, etc. Et Kildare Chilling um, has very unfortunately been the setting of two really horrific accidents in recent years. On May 14th of this year, 2020, a 55-year-old man called Binak Kokaj died at Kildare Chilling after suffering severe trauma to the head in what was described as a workplace accident or an industrial accident. And investigations into that are ongoing. I think there's two investigations uh, going on at the moment. On February 16th, 2018, a Moldovan man, Alexandru Kochiban, who's just 22 years old, was due his first paycheck at Kildare Chilling, where he had recently started to work on the same day that he also died in an what was described as an industrial accident at the plant. I think it involved a forklift. Um, that's very, very distressing, obviously. Uh, also, you know, um, that 55-year-old man who died in May, I mean, that was in the middle of the pandemic as well. There have been um, various uh, revelations, I think, for the broader public, although I think a lot of people who work in and around these kind of areas in terms of workers' rights would be aware of this stuff, but the broader public may not be so aware of it. 
about the conditions and the uh, lifestyles, I suppose, of people who are working in these plants. Hot bedding has become um, a, a word to describe uh, the type of living conditions outside of the plants that people are enduring. There are reports that there is a house in Offaly where around 40 workers are um, living in and basically swap. So one bunch of the people come off a shift and then take up the same beds that the other people are getting out of to start their shift. Um, These kinds of ways of living are obviously, if there is a pandemic, if there is a highly contagious, highly transmissible virus going on, crowded houses, places where people are sharing beds. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious that that's not a very um, optimum living arrangement, particularly when people are going to work in meat plants. Meat plants have been identified as places where the, where the, the virus is spreading. There's also questions about investigations at meat plants and um, whether the Health and Safety Authority didn't begin in particular inspections of meat plants until late May has been a, kind of an accusation levelled. Greg Ennis from SIPTU is seeking legislation to ban subcontracting and bogus self-employment in meat plants. There's all this stuff about how people are contracted in Poland, so then they don't necessarily have right uh, workers' rights in Ireland. He's also said that nine out of 10 workers don't have access to sick pay. And he's also spoken about a culture of a fear of retribution. Uh, Ennis from SIPTU said, quote, I have never seen an industry where workers are so reluctant to come out front and talk to the media or to union officials about their concerns. And that is a scandal. Now, Sirka Pollock had a really great piece of reporting in the Irish Times last week, um, speaking to three workers at meat plants. I think there are three um, Brazilian men. And it's worth looking up if people want to check that out about their own kind of personal testimonies of working in these places. So this is all very depressing. But I suppose at the same time, we've spoken repeatedly about how this pandemic is an exposing force. And maybe this stage of the pandemic is actually about exposing the underbelly of uh, the meat industry in Ireland, about workers' rights, and particularly about the rights of migrant workers. What do you think about that, Andrea? Like, I think COVID has been so bad for so much, but I think where it is bringing attention to some things like this, of how workers are being treated, of how people are living, of how they're not fit for, there's so much that isn't fit for purpose in the country, um, that we are willing to look, overlook. And um, if direct provision and the way we treat workers and that we realise that we're living people with lives and not just units of, of, of labour, I think that will be something that will be, that will be not worth going through all this, but definitely something that, having a light shone on this is a good thing. Now let's move on as we uh, calm our frustration and quell our anger. No, not really. It's time for Get in the Sea. What's getting in the sea this week, Andrea? This is probably mainly a Twitter thing and obviously Twitter is not real life and the 
if you can stay off Twitter as much as possible, it's probably advised. But following the uh, Berlin brunch, baked brunch in D2, um, the personal pylon onto the organizer of Jess Brennan, I thought was really, really shitty. Um, there was, people were coming to like, there was an outpouring of attack on her, even though the brunch was organized uh, by the rails. There was 30 people in the venue. Everyone was served food and the drinks. Uh, and what happened afterwards cannot simply be attributed to one person. While she was the face of it, and there was a lot of slagging going on for influencers. Jess Brennan isn't an influencer. She just has a lot of people who follow her. She doesn't consider herself an influencer. Um, but to, to just the derogatory way that people went for her. Um, and I think it just really shows how fast we jump from day to day of who the the flavor of the day is who's going to get it in the neck essentially and just the personal approach to that is just really nasty so that can get in the sea yeah I, I thought it was interesting how there was very little um grief given to Mark O'Leary who's DJing um and posting memes on his Instagram about his level of fear while Jess Brennan was getting all this grief I think in in context, you know, the whole, that whole incident just became this whipping boy was completely overplayed. And I understand why, why people pile on, you know, it's almost like entertainment, even though it's just ridiculous and you're not considering the impact this might have on the person goes without saying that it looked really, really bad. Um, it looks stupid, you know, people need to, you know, really kind of, even on a superficial level, get a grip with, with how they're portraying what they're what they're doing to, in terms of soci- socially and the disconnect of actually posting stuff on Instagram and stuff is probably not the smartest thing. Mm-hmm. But in context, um, you know, some people jumping around doing Jaeger in Berlin on Dame Street is probably not our biggest problem right now. Um, yeah. Good, good get in the sea item this week, I feel. And now... It's bananas. <laughs> oh my God, why did I say it like that? That was so bad. It sounded like a strawberry alarm clock or something. <laughs> it's bananas. <laughs> Coming to what? you at 9 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> zany. Uh, <laughs> what is bananas this week? Like, this has been bananas to me for a while. And we've done an episode on this. Um, but it was highlighted again to me. And I just, I just... I'm sitting there reading these things a lot of the time going, this is so fucking bananas. How has this happened and how is it allowed and how is this still continuing? But it was brought to my attention again this week. um, FKA Twigs did a Twitter takeover um, and she gave her Twitter over to sex workers campaigning for better rights for sex workers. Um, So far, so good. Um, And it included... Sex Workers Alliance of Ireland who are campaigning to scrap a law that makes it illegal to pay for sex and they've gone into it um, a number of times about how it actually is more damaging how um, and all the they've like campaigned and fought and educated and all this kind of jazz but there was an article in the University Times um, that was definitely worth a read called The Church's Lingering Shadows on Sex Work in Ireland Um, and what I find most bananas um, from reading that is that Ruama, which is an organization for women um, affected by sex work, which is made up of the same organizations who ran the Magdalene Laundries, which is the Good Shepherd Sisters and the Sisters of Our Lady Charity, 
are telling sex workers what's best for them and how to use their bodies and what they can do with their bodies and what they can't do with their bodies. So it comes back to bodily autonomy. Now, obviously, there's, um, there is uh, a lot of conversations around this because there is, the CEO came, Sarah Benson came from the Women's Council, and there are a lot of people involved in Ruama that would be people that I respect and in a feminist world. So it just makes me kind of feel and question and and say it's bananas that there's such a different um, view on sex work and how when we fought so much for bodily autonomy in terms of abortion where the conversation goes in such a different way and um, when it comes to sex work and how these organ the people who ran these uh, laundries and how there's like I think four out of the ten people on the board are nuns um, are having the conversation about sex work and there's the sex workers are not involved in the conversation. I've and what is that, Andrea? That is absolutely bananas. Can I add another mini kind of both again in the sea and it's bananas crossover that relates to our podcast last week with Orla Hegarty, which everybody should listen to because she's just fantastic on it if you're interested in planning and development and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, a, a re, one of the really big kind of student um, accommodation buildings opposite UCD, which is 210 beds in it, um, Montrose. It's it's was built by Aparto. It has been shut down um, because of fire safety problems within the building. And uh, so there you go. Uh, the nature of the oh, fire safety the nature of the fire safety problems are still under investigation. And uh, so Aparto are um, very apologetic and they have taken the proactive decision uh, due to a fire safety issue with the merge as a result of its own commissioned inspection and follow-up assessment of the building. So basically they've just had to shut down uh, that big student accommodation building. So bananas, how there can be different levels of safety encouraged depending on whether you own rent or are a student. Like, is your life any less valuable because you're in college? Well, uh, it's been shut down now anyway, so we'll see what happens with that. But that one has, but the rest of them haven't. Well, we don't know whether there's any uh, safety issues with the other student accommodation, so... Um, Anyway, there you go. Just thought I'd mention that. From our legal team. <laughs> yeah. So you can listen to the pod, the, um, I think it's episode 63 with Orla, Orla Hegarty, which is really great from last week. Okay. And now it's time for our fave bits. Woo! Something good. <laughs> <laughs> so our fave bits this week, my fave bits. I think we're all beginning to notice the lack of um, television and film programming because of how productions were shut down. And so I've literally just been staring at Netflix going, no, seen that, seen that, seen that. And I don't have a TV. Have I ever mentioned that before, Andrea, that I don't have TV, I don't have TV, I don't have TV, I don't have TV. One thing, and this is just something I've noticed. I just don't understand how many hours you have in your day because from all you read, all the literally anything I mention, I've read the reports into that. I've just watched all these programs on Netflix. I'm like, what did I watch on Netflix? I watched one program. I like, I just don't know where your time comes from. I'm so jealous. Well, I don't 
I don't know. I only really maybe watch something once every two days, just at night. Yeah, but you 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 are on top of everything. You've read every report. You've read books. You've read like I just anyway. That's a side note. I do like reading like random reports and. I will spend hours like reading old, you know, investigations into things and like government documents and things. I enjoy that. <laughs> this is why I should have been a lawyer. <laughs> like Harvey <Maybe>. Specter. <laughs> anyway, um, Unwell on Netflix uh, is a kind of, you know, entertainment documentary series on the wellness industry. Um, but there's a really good episode on ayahuasca and can 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 we ever have enough ayahuasca content? I don't think so. I like <laughs> I watching things great. about it. Can, can we, we ever have enough, have enough ayahuasca? <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking it right now. Um, so, yeah, if you if you're into like ayahuasca vibes, um, it's really interesting and, it, you know, shows the actual experience people are having positively, negatively. And all of the, you know, difficulties with all these, you know, lost, uh, quote unquote, Westerners, like ending up in Peru being like, maybe this will save me. <laughs> um, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, these are people's lives we're talking about. Anyway, uh, it's worth watch. Um, my other fave bit is the Dublin Theatre Festival launched its programme. And one of the things I'm particularly interested in is uh, To Be a Machine. So that Mark O'Connell book um, about transhumanism, uh, basically there's, it's been adopt, adopted uh, by Dead Centre, who are a really great um, Irish theatre company. And um, sorry, I'm just Googling when it's actually on here. Um, and um, it is going to be like a new kind of, theatre production with Jack Leeson. So check out the Dublin Theatre Festival website and you'll see all of their bits. I think they, the tickets to Friends at the Festival have gone on sale and um, Jen Pop will be uh, this Friday, I think. So check out what's going on there. My other fave bit is a book I'm reading at the moment called As You Were by Elaine Feeney. Um, it had been on my pile for ages. I've, I've actually had it for, for a while, but I just only kind of got. I think I was ready to read it right now. It is really fantastic. Elaine is an amazing, amazing poet and now novelist uh, from Galway. And this book, it's set on a hospital ward. Um, a friend of mine who's from Galway described it as like a love letter to Galway as well. It's very Galway, and uh, it's just really great writing. Um, so I'd recommend it if you're if you're into that. It can be dark and difficult in parts, but it's very very rewarding uh, novel. And my other, my final fave bit is, uh, now we all know that we've been absolutely loving um, Emma Blake's murals uh, during the pandemic from her Cardi B thing to Sister in Sister in Kingswood, in your hood. Um, and so she's just been just making amazing stuff. Uh, but I think her most recent one is one of her finest pieces of work. So the back of Street 66, uh, on Parliament Street, um, the back lounge part of that, uh, she has transformed the entire uh, side of the building into a um, kind of contemporary pride flag with uh, and a tribute to Keith Haring and to the work of ACT UP. And it is stunning. So if you live in and around Dublin and you're bopping around town, I went 
I went over to see it uh, yesterday evening with some pals and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, tribute to, to Keith Haring. And just well done, Emma. Like, she's just unreal. So those are my fave bits. What about you? My fave bits. Uh, firstly, the Abbey Theatre have launched their 2020 programme and they already had their Lancome gig last week. Um, but they also have a play, a virtual play, called This Beautiful Virtual Village by Lisa Turnikio. And it got loads of amazing accolades and everyone being like, this is amazing. And it's been edited to be relevant to the world we live in now and it's online it's only Fiverr um, but they have programmed I suppose uh, were an extraordinary program for an extraordinary year so worth looking at what the Abbey Theatre have up their sleeves um, secondly is the Anne Doyle Irish Times cover yes like it was just iconic um I can't get enough of it. Like so many people now have it as their wallpaper on their phones and their watches and they're everywhere. She's just, I just adore the spirit of Anne Doyle and to see that cover was so brilliant and fair play to the team who uh, created it. But uh, yeah, Anne Doyle, she gets shit done. She's serious, uh, stoic, the whole shebang. But then she's just a little rascal, really, underneath it all. And I absolutely love that about her. She's so mischievous. She just wants to, like, have a ball and have, like, a few drinks and read books and just do live her best life. I just think she's she's just an icon of Ireland and the world and just of creating the life you want to live. So big up to Andal. Another thing uh, that is my favourite bit is uh, the D8 Refugees Community Sponsorship. Uh, This is a project that has been done by a number of people in D8 who are are fundraising to bring uh, a refugee family over to the community. And it's being done all through community sponsorship. So money, and then they find a house, and then they integrate the family into the community. And it's obviously a really nice thing. It's a a Department of Justice initiative supported by the Irish Refugee Council. Um, And they are fundraising at the moment. So if you can, do look them up and throw them a few bob if you can. But... um, I do have a few like concerns about how is this outsourcing the responsibility of the Department of Justice um, to uh, community, but that's a separate conversation. But the people involved were saying that it's really successful in Canada and we're way behind in terms of rolling out stuff like this, but that there is uh, space for it to happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm behind it for uh, sure. Uh I've got a lot of new fave bits. My other fave bit is I have been watching Suits on repeat. I've gone through three seasons, and which is unlike me because I just don't watch it. And it's just abs- like it's just a great show. Even though it highlight the thing I like about it is it highlights loads of shit in, in like as entertainment should. But like the last story I was watching was the uh, profiting of prisons. Um, and how they were using inmates to make money and keeping them in for longer and how that's actually a huge problem in the States. Um, But yeah, great program. Can I ask a question? Because like many big things that in popular culture, they just kind of pass me by. What is Suits about? Suits? (laughs) I just have no idea. All I know is Meghan Markle, the end. I've never... This corporate uh, law firm who are actually, they, they're 
ethics are probably a bit skewed towards like saving millionaires millions of money Um, and it's how corporate law works and the kind of shit that goes on and the bullying and the black mailing and the just it's a really immoral industry and that's kind of highlighted and then uh harvey specter is the absolute fucking ride in it um who he's like the kind of the man and then mike comes in who has a memory he remembers everything and he never actually studied and went to the bar but he becomes a lawyer because he's such a quick thinker and he he has read every law in the world or whatever and it's just their journey Um, and it's full of really strong women characters it's full of loads of black women and there's a lot of like conversations about we're the black firm and like positioning uh the women as really strong and in control and brilliant so i just think in terms of the writing and it's still it kind of has a very it's very polished entertainment but it still has a lot of good shit in it in terms of messaging and positioning and all that kind of stuff hmm, okay and I relied on the shite of corporate law and how people are trying to get out of fucking whatever it's bananas the shit that happens uh much more closer to home right now is the avon which is in blessington and it is just the best place. I, did I do this? this has been on your fave bits oh, already. Oh, well, I was there again. And it's I just go there and it's brilliant. Like, Niall Sabongi has a food truck there now. The big oh, yeah. bus is there. There's a barbecue bus. So you can completely socially distance. Uh, you can eat outside. You can get a little bottle of wine. Walk by the lakes. It is just absolutely brilliant. I can't get over how brilliant it is and what an asset it is to Blessington and you can go kayaking and you can go like do like the zip line and you can like it's and you can stay there for hands it's just like whoa what a facility and like I was like brought someone new to it and I was like isn't it real country like vibes and they're like no it's like don't you know like the posh country in England that we don't really have where they have all these facilities whereas in Ireland we have like you barely get a, a news agent and a pub where it's like wow it's an actual facility that provides what you want are you um, working on commission for I them? wish I asked a story <laughs> on Instagram the other day I was like oh I hope they get in contact and get me as, a, as an influencer or whatever what do you call them as a whatever brand ambassador I hope they get me to be one. So if you're listening, the Avon, do get in contact because I am very open to that. <laughs> uh, and I'm not usually, but it's just deadly. Um, and then the final thing is uh, Culture Night has just been announced and people are urged to be, reconnect with the city um, as a program of 180 events are announced for Culture Night. And we have an announcement, Reculture Night and United Ireland, which will make Oh, we get to finally do it. We can't tell you our news right now, but <laughs> and we'll keep you. We'll, we've huge news to announce. Um, but yes, uh, we do need to reconnect with the city and what that means to us. And if we can, and Culture Night is the perfect way to do that, as we're let the the p- people in charge let Culture Night do a lot more than is usually allowed day to day. So it's a perfect way to envisage what our city could be all the time. Fab. I'm looking forward to sharing that exciting news with our listeners. <laughs> um, we should probably not be cynical about the fact that we are actually doing cool stuff. I don't know. I'm not, I'm just like, I just know people are like, we can't share the news right now. Well, don't. I know, yeah. 
share it when you're ready to share it. You're absolutely wonderful communicator. Uh, <laughs> okay, so what's the tune of Chicken Roll? I think we're all in need of a bop these days. Oh, it is a tuna. It's from 1977. It feels so modern. It's so good. It is Saron Super Nature. It's an absolute tuna chicken roll. Like I've been Una. I've been Andrea. That was New Restrictions, Losing the Logic Battle, question mark? And we are United Ireland. Just down below. 